Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Wednesday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. On Monday, we answered the question regarding Jesus' self-identity and his mission. How much did he know about himself and what he was to do, and when did he know it? Well, it was an ongoing process, I think, but as of Monday's lesson, with the remarkable scene of Peter's confession of faith at Caesarea Philippi and Peter's confession of faith being validated by God the Father himself in the presence of two credible witnesses, Moses and Elijah, there is no doubt about who he is and what he is to do. His disciples, however, have not yet wrapped their minds around that. After all, Peter said, after Jesus told him that we're going to Jerusalem, I'll be arrested, tried, crucified, buried, and raised, Peter took him aside and he said, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. Lead, follow, or get out of the way. This is what's going to happen. Well, if you were Satan, if you were the actual adversary, and now Jesus, his disciples, and you, the adversary, know the fullness of who Jesus is and what he was going to do when he arrived in Jerusalem, wouldn't you up the ante? Wouldn't you take everything you had to stop him? I think you would. And the opposition is going to increase as they come off the mountain. We put it in Matthew 17 at verse 14. Now, when they came to the crowd at the bottom of the mountain, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures. He's suffering greatly. He, he often falls into the fire or into the water. I, I brought him to your disciples, but they, they couldn't heal him. And Jesus said, Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. The disciples wondered, Well, I'll be darned. And they said to Jesus, well, Why couldn't we drive it out? Because they had driven out demons before. They had been sent out by Jesus to teach, to preach, to heal, and they were quite successful at it. So why could we not deal with this one? Well, after Peter's confession of faith, after God's validation of that confession of faith on the Mount of Transfiguration, the opposition gets stronger. He replied, you have so little faith, that's why. I'll tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Mount Hermon, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. You know, we're coming up against serious forces here. But if you truly believe that I am who Peter said I am and who God the Father validated that I am, then if you have faith, even like a mustard seed, you'll be able to tell this mountain move from point A to point B. 
that came together in Galilee. So they go all the way back to Galilee. And he said to them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he'll be raised to life. Well, that's now the second time that Jesus has said this. The first time was right after Peter's confession of faith. We read in chapter 16, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Now he tells them again. There's no question about him knowing precisely what his mission is. Now, after Jesus and the disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Now, there's a real issue here with the, uh, with the leaders of the temple, the religious leaders. Hey, does your teacher pay this tax? Rumor has it he's not doing it. And they said, oh, yes, by, by all means. And when Peter came into the house, Jesus was the very first to speak. And remember, he lives at Peter's house in Capernaum. He said, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? Well, from others, Peter answered then the sons are exempt. That would be Jesus and them. But so that we may not offend them, go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Now, this is a pretty funny scene. No, I don't pay the temple tax. But look, so we don't offend anybody? Go down to the lake, catch a fish, get the coin out of its mouth, and pay the tax. Not coming out of your pocket or mine. I love this story. When we travel to Israel and walk in the footsteps of Jesus, and we spend time in Galilee, our second day in Galilee, we go to a restaurant St. Peter's Restaurant. Bet you didn't know he owned a restaurant, did you? And there we have St. Peter's Fish, which is a type of tilapia. And uh, we, we get it grilled, and it's a whole fish with a head and all, and uh, they bring it out, and, and we have a feast for lunch on the St. Peter's Fish. And every time, every time, I go back near the kitchen where they're bringing the fish out on the plate, and I take a shekel out of my pocket and stick it in the mouth of one of the fish and watch it be delivered. And you can see the people at the tables. You can see who gets the fish with the coin because there's surprise and the whole table bursts into laughter. It's always fun to do. Well, we move on. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, what are they thinking? They know who he is. 
and they know what he's about to do. So what are they thinking? Well, what's, what's my part in this? You know, who, when you go to Jerusalem and all these things happen and your, your kingdom comes, what jobs are we going to have? Who, who among us will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, Jesus called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never even enter the kingdom of heaven, never mind being the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone tied around his neck and to be drowned in the Sea of Galilee. So woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come. You know, bad stuff's going to happen. But woe to the man through whom they come. So whatever's standing in the way, whatever's standing in your way, your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands and two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. So look, here's the first lesson, said Jesus, regarding the kingdom of heaven. Yes, I'll be going to Jerusalem, you'll be coming with me, and you will witness what I've said is going to happen. And you will witness my resurrection and the inbreaking of the kingdom of God into this world. And who's going to be the greatest among you in it? The one who is servant of all. And if there's anything in your heart, in your mind, in your ego, that's getting in the way of you becoming a servant of all, whatever that might be, throw it overboard. If it's your, your ego, forget it. Throw it overboard. If it's Matthew, the tax collector, if it's your wealth, get rid of it. Throw it overboard. If it's anything else, Get rid of it, because you have a mission as well. You have a self-identity. And I don't think any of the disciples, any of the 12, imagined during the three-year public ministry what their role in God's plan would be, what their future would be. In fact, well, Judas hangs himself, he commits suicide, and other than John, all the other disciples are martyred. I don't think they imagine such a thing. Who's going to be greatest? Who will be Secretary of State? Who will be this? Who will be that? No. He who is least, who is servant of all, will be the greatest. So see that you don't look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that there are angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. I like that. 
I tell you the truth, their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. This is where we get the concept of a guardian angel, one watching over us. You know, when you think about the, the reality of, of life itself, you know, we've talked about this before in, in earlier podcasts, that before time even began, before anything, you were a distinct and unique individual in the mind of God. And at just the right moment in time, when those two cells came together to create your physical body, at that moment, you were a fully developed, unique individual within the mind of God, and he infused you into that act of creation. From the very moment of conception, you grew and you developed a corporeal envelope, a body in which you lived. You were born into this world. We walk across the stage of this world. And eventually, we step off the stage of this world into the presence of God. And what will that be like? Well, we all have images of what heaven will be like, but I, I don't think we can even begin to imagine what it would be like. When you were developing within the womb and you, uh, and you, you gain self-awareness, and you do, you stretch you because it makes you feel good. You move around because it makes you feel good. But you are in total darkness, no sense of heat or cold, no sense of up or down. And then at some catastrophic moment, you're born. God said, I want you to get ready. You're going to be born tomorrow. What's born? Well, you'll be leaving here. Why? I like it here. Well, sorry, but you'll be leaving here. Well, I don't want to. It's going to happen, so get ready. And sure enough, you're born. And you're born into this world in which we live. And you're born to see the beauty, to see the sunrise and the sunset, to develop intellect, to engage with the environment around you, to have friends and loves. You could never imagine that when you were within the womb. You could never imagine a red biplane flying across a blue sky while you're floating on the water of the Pacific Ocean. I think the change from when we step out into eternity will be even greater than from the womb into the world. You know, we'll meet that guardian angel all the while that we've been going through this world. We're being watched over. We're being protected. Think about that. Think about your guardian angel. When we teach the, uh, and study the deuterocanonical books, the book of Tobit uh, is one book that we, that we study. And Tobias, the son of Tobit, goes off on a great adventure. And with him, he has a guide. The guide is the archangel Raphael in disguise. And he's with him the whole while. I like to think about that. I like to think of my guardian angel 
goodness knows, across my life, I, he pulled me out of the fire more than once. I can tell you that for sure. So think about that. Don't look down on these little children. They're angels in heaven. Always see the face of my Father in heaven. They're watching over this child, just like they watched over you. So what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that didn't wander off. And in the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. As St. Paul writes to Timothy, God wants all people to be saved. And God has provided the means for that. So if you are a person who short-circuits God's plan, if you are a person who gets that child off track, oh, it would be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into the Sea of Galilee because it won't go well for you that is for sure. And along the same lines, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. And if he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along and so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. This is something we'll see happen uh, with St. Paul in Corinth. The man who takes his father's wife and flaunts it in front of the community. And he's put out of the community. But then we learn that he repents, he wants to come back, and the church won't allow him to. And St. Paul said, what are you thinking? The whole purpose was for his repentance and his return. So, if something happens between you and your brother, you and your friend, he goes off track, is off the rails, off the reservation, then go to him, just between the two of you, and talk it over with him. That's a hard thing to do. And I must say that in my life, it's happened back in the 1980s. You know, I, I was doing quite well back then. And, uh, and it went to my head, frankly. I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing. I was so far off the reservation, you, you, you need a telescope to find me. And my very good and close friend, my beloved friend, and my mentor, Jack Evans, flew from Phoenix, Arizona, all the way over to Los Angeles. He called me. He said he'd like to have lunch with me. So we went to the LA Athletic Club for lunch. And as we were having a nice lunch, he confronted me with what I was doing, saying, act, how I was acting. I was angry with him. I got up and walked out. 
But Jack did exactly the right thing. By him coming over to Los Angeles and confronting me with what I was clearly doing wrong, he really saved my life. He saved my eternity. And I remember later, Jack said to me, a friend is someone who's known you for 40 years and loves you anyhow. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Well, again, I tell you, but if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. And where two or three come together in my name, there I am with you. I had lunch with Jack when he confronted me. There were four chairs at the table, two of us sitting there. But the Lord was there in one of those chairs, watching over the whole thing. Now I'll bet my guardian angel was in the other chair just shaking his head. What was Bill thinking? So Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, you, you said, you, you talked about forgiving. How many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven, but 77 times or 70 times seven times. That is, always. Therefore, let me illustrate, he said. The kingdom of heaven, you want to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? huh? The kingdom of heaven is like king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. That is an enormous amount of money, millions of dollars. He was not able to pay. So the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. He couldn't repay the millions of dollars, but he gave every penny he had to the man. The servant fell on his knees before him. Please be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. A multi-million dollar debt canceled. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That is, a few dollars. He grabbed him by the, by the neck. He began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, be patient with me, I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had one of the men had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant! I canceled that multi-million dollar debt of yours because you begged me to do it. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? In his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he'd pay back the millions of dollars he owed. Well, that is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Well, that's a vividly illustrated lesson about forgiveness. If we want God to forgive us, 
if I beg God to forgive me for all the things I did that Jack came over to confront me about, if it, and God did indeed forgive me, but if he forgave me, don't I have an obligation to forgive others if they've done things to me that are far less than I have done to others? Of course. You want to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You see the points being made? Like a little child? Like a lost sheep? Forgiveness. Forgiveness and love. Now, when Jesus had finished uh, saying all these things, he left Galilee and went to the region of Judea on the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them. Some Pharisees came to him to test him and they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Well, that was a big debate and we talked about this earlier in our podcasts on Matthew. There was a big debate at the time between Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai about divorce. In the Torah, divorce is permissible. But under what conditions? Some said under any and every condition. Whatever the, whatever the reason, you're permitted to divorce. You, the man, the woman is not. So is it permissible for, to divorce for any and every reason? What, what side do you take in this debate? And Jesus replied, Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? <laughs> That's saying, Haven't you taken Bible 101? In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and on the sixth day He created man, male and female He made them. Haven't you even gone beyond chapter 1 of Genesis? Look, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. They are no longer two. They are one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. They come together. They become one flesh. That is, they have sexual relations. She gives birth to a child which is the two of them embodied in a third person. They create a family, and you're not to break that bond. But why, then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Moses did allow that in the Torah. And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. You're stubborn, arrogant people. But it was not this way from the beginning. And I tell you, you want to know where I stand on this? I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for, now my NIV translation reads, marital unfaithfulness, the Greek word, we explored this before, is porneia, porneia a broader term than marital unfaithfulness. Anyone who divorces his wife, except for 
this instance of porneia and marries another woman, commits adultery. In other words, there's only a very narrow window through which you can go, porneia. That includes adultery, but it also includes other things, I think. It's a broader term. You know, you fall in love with this guy and it's all wonderful and he brings you roses and takes you to dinner and um, you have long, intimate conversations and you feel like you love each other and you want to marry. So you do. But then after you marry, he decides, you know, I, I, I'm just going to stay home and let you work. After all, you have a better better education, better career than I do, so you, you, you can do the work. I'll, I'll, take care of the, I'll take care of the house and uh, be a caretaker. Right. <laughs> and then you put up with it, but he becomes jealous. He becomes insecure. He questions his manhood. What kind of husband are you, after all? He starts drinking a lot. He slaps her around, beats her up. Did God call that woman to be consistent in that relationship? No, the husband, in my view, forfeited that. Then again, that's me talking, and anyone in that situation should confer with their pastor or priest not with me. I have pretty strong feelings about that whole thing. The disciple said to him, well, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. And Jesus replied, true, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs, celibate, because they were born that way. They were born physically damaged, Others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. There are different paths in life. The vast majority of people marry, have a family, and move on. Loving one another, caring for one another, until death do they part. Others are not able to, physically not able to, or, or because they were born that way, or that accident along the way. And others have renounced marriage for the kingdom of heaven. They've chosen a celibate lifestyle so they can focus solely upon God. There are different paths. But whatever path you choose or is forced upon you, you stick with that path. And then Jesus noticed little children. And remember, he said, you, you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You've got to be like a little child. Well, here are some children. Little children were brought to Jesus for him to place their hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them and said, take those little brats away. But Jesus said, 
Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for, once again, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he placed his hands on them and blessed them, he went on from there. Now, a young man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? Well, that's going to take us into a whole different topic, a topic that we'll pick up on Friday. So once again, thank you for being here with me. I look forward to this every week, uh, to being in your presence and in your company. I look forward to blessings from you and uh, ask for your prayers and as I'll send mine to you. So we're right up at the end of the podcast. I will see you on Friday. Bye-bye now. Thank you.